Hey, good morning. Welcome to Beach Point. You have met us at about our halfway point through a series we're doing called The Story. And we're using this uh, resource called The Story. They're available in the lobby uh, for five bucks. But uh, what we're trying to do is discover the big God story, the, the narrative that holds the whole Bible together. And so each week we look at a, uh, what we call a lower story, one of the, the, the stories of, of uh, the Bible. And we, uh, uh, as we look at that, we try to figure out ways that it's connected to the bigger story. But uh, we're always inviting you to think about how does this story that we're looking at today, how, does, how is God inviting me to uh, uh, live my story within his? And so uh, if you haven't joined us yet, it's still a great time to join us because we've got about three weeks and then we're going to have a break. It's written in novel form. You can catch up. Okay, so you'll do just fine. So if you haven't started yet, you can jump in with us. Uh, we'll have a little break for Christmas, and then after the new year, we'll jump back into it. So uh, we have a few weeks before we go on break. But uh, today, what we're going to think about a little bit is we're starting a new, uh, a, a little mini-series within this story called Broken. And we're, we're going to enter into a place in the big story as God's people now, we're going to see God's people uh, his kingdom is going to divide. And so we're going to look at the legacy of three kings. And today, uh, that's what we want to think about. We want to think a little bit about legacy. Uh, so as you see this a little bit, we're thinking about faithfulness. We're thinking about legacy. Uh, and what we've seen over these last couple of weeks, if you've been with us, is that our little decisions, our choices matter. Uh, they matter not just for the present but they have an effect on our future. They have an effect on the kind of legacy that we will leave behind. And so there's an exercise. Maybe some of you have done this. There's kind of a life exercise in which you, you think about the very end of your life. You think about uh, your memorial service. You think about the people who would stand up and who would speak about your life. And you think, what would I want those people to say? Now, the reason you do this exercise is you can't force those people to say those things. You can't script it for them. You have to, if you want them to say those things about you, you have to live that way. And so it's an exercise in which we kind of start with the end of mind. We work backwards and say, okay, if I want my, my spouse to say, wow, that was a, I was married to the most tender person ever. Well, you got to be tender today. You can't cram for it on, on those last days of your life. Uh, and so you, you kind of think about this. Maybe some of you have tried this. You have uh, thought about what word or words you would put on your tombstone, right? And uh, what, what would characterize your life by what you would put on your tombstone? Uh, I want to give you some samples. Maybe this will be helpful for you. So there, uh, in Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, there is a, a, a tombstone of a man named Ezekiel. And it says this, here lies Ezekiel uh, Achille, age 102, the good die young. Okay. Uh, in an English cemetery, uh, a woman named Alice or Anna Wallace, it says this, the children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him Anna. <laughs> so loving husband for sure. Uh, the husband who finally wanted to have the last word in a conversation. Uh, in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, uh, we read this. It says, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Uh, or two other quick ones. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. Uh, or this one I thought was clever. In Georgia, in a Georgia cemetery, it says this. I told you I was sick. Uh, so what will they write on your tombstone? 
Uh, what, will, what will your epitaph say? Uh, the choices that we make in our decisions, the, the decisions we're making today, they have an effect on the kind of life we live, on the kind of legacy that we will leave. And so I want you to think a little bit about that today. So uh, we've seen this theme come up again and again. Uh, our choices affect our legacy. Uh, now, I, I've learned this probably because part of my job is I, more than I'm guessing most of you, I attend more funerals than anyone I know. So I'm either, uh, most of the time I'm doing the funeral. Uh, other times I'm there as friend or family. But I, I've done probably about 50 funerals in the last few years. So I, I'm around this a lot. And what I discover sitting there is they make you think. They make you think about your life. And so as much as you're there to celebrate someone else's life, you find yourself thinking about your life and the choices that you're making. Uh, You think about the kind of person you want to be. You think about the kind of impact your life is having. And so it's always been, uh, it's been interesting over these last years to really think through this. And so there's there's something about us today. Now, I, I look around, I'm seeing a lot of younger people here, and you're thinking, well, I don't have to worry about this yet. I'll worry about this when I'm old. You understand, you can't, you can't cram a legacy. You can't cram, it's like the farm. You can't cram on the farm. You can't, you can't decide, oh, wow, we're a month from harvest. We better start, start plowing. We better start planting. You can't cram your legacy. You, the choices you're making now, we saw this with David. We saw this with Solomon. We're going to see this again today. The advice you listen to, the, 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 the obedience, the, the level of obedience in which you live has a huge impact on the kind of life you live. And so here's what I want you to ask is a big idea. Instead of a statement, we want to give you a uh, question. And it's this, what will you be remembered for? What will you be remembered for? And we're going to think about this through the legacy of three kings. We're going to learn from these three kings as we walk through this. And so what's going to happen, what we're going to see is that the, the nation of Israel... In this chapter, if you, if you did the reading, uh, you saw that the nation of Israel is going to split. Uh, it breaks. It breaks into two. And this kind of captures a little bit what we're seeing. So let me give you a, 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 an image to help you kind of follow the kings of Israel. So remember, God's people had a king. It was God. And they rejected him. They said, we want to be like all the other nations. We want a human king. And so God gave him Saul. And Saul was... I, I think best to describe, he was someone whose heart uh, did not belong to the Lord. And so the Lord said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. I'm going to give it to David. We saw David, he gets anointed as king. And then God prepares him and then he becomes king. He's a good king. He's a king described as a man after God's own heart. And yet even a man after God's own heart, this traumatic failure, huge repercussions to the kingdom. But David responds in repentance and forgiveness. He changes and as a result, God is able to continue to work for them. And, and as a result, God makes a promise to David. He says, David, I make a promise to you. Because of who you are and because of your faithfulness, I will never take the throne away from your family. And so this is going to be kind of fascinating is what we'll watch. So uh, David's son, Solomon, again, kind of fascinating that God chooses his wife Bathsheba, who he had this kind of traumatic event with, that's who he's going to have, that, through that line is who the next king is going to come from. And ultimately we'll see uh, King Jesus will come from. And so Solomon, but now what we're going to see is as Solomon is ready to hand the kingdom off to his son Rehoboam, Rehoboam's going to make some choices that are going to divide the kingdom into two. So as we go on from here, 
uh, what I want to prepare you for is you're going to start seeing uh, two kingdoms being described, Israel and Judah. And we'll show you a little bit more. We'll try our best just to make sure you know who we're talking about. Because even if you've gone to Bible college or, or uh, studied this a lot, you can get confused. And the layers of the Bible, as we're walking through next week, we'll talk about the messengers, the prophets. As you read through the Bible, now we're starting to see some of the layers come through. So we have story and we have prophets and we have kind of wisdom literature. Uh, and that's why the story is super helpful because it helps us kind of just follow uh, the story. All right, so with Solomon, there was, if, if you were reading last week, the chapter ended in a very dark way. Uh, it kind of gives you this cliffhanger moment. And, and here's what we read. It says this, that the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude... And you have not kept my commands, uh, or not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you, and I will give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for, your, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen." So Solomon had, uh, he had, he wasn't obedient. He had missed, even, even as wise as he was, he'd given his heart to other gods. He'd broken, God said, look, don't marry these foreign wives. You will start to worship their gods. And that's exactly what he did. And so as a result, God's going to tear the kingdom from him. He's going to tear it away from his line. But as you see, there's still this element of faithfulness of God. But for the sake of the promise I've made to David, I will be faithful. And I will still keep this in, in your line. And so God says the kingdom is going to split into two. There will be a northern kingdom. There will be a southern kingdom. And Israel will never be the same. So let me invite you to turn to chapter 14 of the story or 1 Kings chapter 12. And I want to introduce you to three of the many kings we'll see over the next couple of weeks. But three kings. And my hope is that we can learn a lesson from each of them that will help you think a little bit about legacy and help you think a little bit about how will my life be remembered? Uh, how will people remember me? The choices we make can create a promised future or a disastrous one. They can leave a godly legacy or one with regret. And so the first king I want us to look at is named Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. And so when Solomon dies, the kingdom goes to Rehoboam. And here's what I want you to learn from Rehoboam. Rehoboam shows us that you can be remembered for listening to the wrong voices. You can be remembered for listening to the wrong voices. Have you ever listened to the wrong voices? Have you ever listened to advice that was what you wanted to hear, but not what you needed to hear. Surrounded yourself with kind of, yes men, yes women. Have you ever listened to the wrong advice and paid the price for it? 
this is the story of Rehoboam. Now, to understand Rehoboam, first you've got to understand this advisor, who this advisor is named Jeroboam. Jeroboam was uh, one of Solomon's rising stars. He was in charge of all the labor. So remember, Solomon is not like David. David is the fighter. Solomon is a lo- I'm a lover, not a fighter. I have a thousand wives. And he's a builder. He's a diplomat. And so he's building the temple and he's building his palace. And, and uh, what, you know, as, as Jason talked last week, about seven years on the temple was about 13 years on his palace. Uh, all these gardens, elaborate things. So there's a lot of stuff being built. And if you're going to lead a government that's going to build a lot of stuff, you're going to have to charge a lot of taxes, aren't you? And so he charges, he charges a, a lot of tax, heavy tax on the people uh, to pay for all this. And uh, heavy expectations of labor. And so as a result of this, uh, Jeroboam is in charge of all this labor, and Jeroboam's learning some things about the effect that this is having on the people. Now, God had come to Jeroboam and said this, Jeroboam, I'm going to tell you something. One day you will be the king, and if you trust me, I will bless you. I'll give you a dynasty. And so Jeroboam, knowing this, scholars aren't sure, but maybe in some ways he kind of rushed the process a little bit. But Solomon got wind somehow, some way of this, and threatened to kill Jeroboam. So he left. He went to go hide in Egypt until Solomon died. But once Solomon died, then Jeroboam came up from Egypt. He came to meet with Rehoboam, and he came to advise him as to how to lead the nation. And when he came to him, uh, 1 Kings chapter 12 uh, verses 4 to 5, he came. Now remember, nobody knows, the, the, in essence, the heart of the people as well as Jeroboam does. And so he's a, he's, he, there's a wisdom there. He's got experience. He's an elder of the, of the people. He knows what Rehoboam needs. And he says this, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and, he, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. So again, Jeroboam is as close as anyone to the action. He knows what the people need. He knows what Rehoboam needs. And he's hoping that Rehoboam will listen to his advice. So Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, uh, Solomon, during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. And they replied, if today you will be with if you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So take a moment to think about this. So he goes to the wise elders, the people that have been there and done that, and he says, what do you think? Here's what, I, here's what Jeroboam says. What do you think? And they say, he's right. Serve these people and they'll serve you and this will be a a wonderful story. But notice Rehoboam doesn't like that answer. That's not the answer he wants. So what does he do? He goes to his boys, his high school buddies, his entourage, and he says, what about you guys? What do you think I should do? And notice what they say. They say this. He asks, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make, uh, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them this. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. 
My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Now, there could not have been any worse advice given to Rehoboam. Uh, His friends are saying this, look, turn up the intensity. You show them who's the king. You can kind of see that, you know, they're just just bouncing around behind him. Yeah, yeah, you tell them, right? You're the king, you're the boss. We'll stand with you. Worst advice possible. And as a result of this advice, the kingdom is going to to split. Uh, So three days later, it says, uh, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned uh, to Rehoboam. And the king said, come back uh, to me. And the king answered the people harshly. He said, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders, he followed the advice, the young men, and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And so he takes the advice of these young people and he says, look, you thought it was tough. Now it's really going to be tough. My father whipped you. I'm bringing out the scorpions. And the scorpion was not just a whip. It was a whip with like metal pieces on the end. You think it was bad then? You don't fall in line with me. I will make it bad. And as a result of this, the people reject him and say, we will have no part of this. And the kingdom divides Ten tribes go to the north, two tribes to the south, and they install Jeroboam to be their king. And so here's, here's a map right here so you just get, get kind of an idea. So if you think of that whole colored area as, the, as how far Solomon had expanded their borders, Israel now, uh, Jeroboam will now lead the ten tribes to the north. And remember the promise that he, uh, God has made to David. For the sake of David, I will still allow you to have a tribe. And so Judah, and then there's Benjamin in there as well, uh, will remain with Rehoboam. And Rehoboam's legacy is forever shaped by listening to the wrong voices. The kingdom breaks on his watch as a result of listening to the wrong voices. So let's pause for a second and ask a question. What voices are you listening to? What voices are you listening to? Whose voices are you listening to? Are you listening to what you want to hear? Are you listening to what you need to hear? Now, all of us have voices that are shaping us. They're shaping how we see life. They're shaping how we decide things. So what voices are you listening to right now? Are they the right voices? One of my concerns for us is we living here in Orange County, we are incredibly self-sufficient people. And what I've watched is that when, when we get in ourselves in trouble, we expend all our resources as much as possible until we're absolutely bankrupt until we, before we ask for help. We don't like to ask for help, do we? We want to try to figure it out ourselves. We don't want to let people know we're struggling. We don't want to let people know we're suffering. And so when we're in a difficult situation where it's almost like a fork in the road, we would rather just wrestle with it ourselves rather than to invite people in to help us. The right voices help us make good decisions. And I've seen it here a lot. And I I think, man, we have so many great ministries here to help you in those times. As Jason was talking about our Stephen ministers, I mean, wonderful people who will be present with you, who will walk with you. 
And I find all the time we will suggest to people, you should really have a Stephen minister right now. This is a perfect time. And people say, no, I don't want any, I don't, I can do it myself. And instead of having wisdom, presence, they, they miss it. Uh, we have life groups. We have Celebrate Recovery. We have all these great things in which you can surround yourself with great voices. So what voices are shaping your life? They're shaping your legacy. For Rehoboam, he listened to the wrong voices. And as a result, his legacy will always be remembered as the one who listened to the wrong advice. So the second king I want us to look at is this man, Jeroboam. Now remember, Jeroboam uh, didn't start off to be king, but God said, I'm going to make you king. And Jeroboam's going to show us something as we start to look at how he led his, uh, the northern kingdom. Jeroboam shows us that you can be remembered for doing things your own way. You can be remembered for doing things your own way. Now you might almost put off to the side with a little italics instead of God's way. Because if there's anything that seems to characterize Jeroboam, it's that God had invited him to do it his way, and he said, ah, I kind of want to do it my own way. Now again, remember, Jeroboam has 10 tribes to the north, but one of the challenges that Jeroboam's facing is he does not have the prized jewel of the kingdom, Jerusalem. So Jerusalem remains in the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem is where the temple is, It's where the people go to worship and to celebrate the festivals. And Jeroboam realizes, I've got kind of a political challenge. What's going to happen if every year, three times a year or more, the people go down to these festivals, they go down to these times of worship, and they enter into the temple, and they enter into the southern kingdom, and they have these great experiences. They're going to want to stay there. Or they're going to want, Rehoboam to be king. And so he's worried. And so he comes up with this kind of solution. And, and the solution is, uh, I, will, I will create my own places of worship. I will create new places of worship. Now, I want you to see something that is really important. Jeroboam, when God said, I'm going to make you king, God gave him a promise. God gave him a promise. Now listen to these words. Uh, They'll be up here on the screen. They're from 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 37 and 38. He said this. God said, However, as for you, I will take you, and you will rule over all your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. Now notice that next word. If in your Bible it's the first word in verse 38, I would circle it. He says this. If, okay, if, you do whatever I command, uh, command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David, my servant, did. Okay, so what God is looking for is a partnership. I will make you king. Now, if you will listen and you will let me lead and you will follow, notice what he says he will do. He says, I will be with you. Okay, first promise. Uh, He says, I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David, and I will give, uh, give Israel to you. So promise, promise, promise. Okay, if we can be in a partnership, 
So this isn't just do what I say to do because I said it. This is God. And this, is, this is the life that we're being invited into. If you will trust me, if you will hold on with me, then I can give you a dynasty. I'll be with you. I can protect you. I can provide for you. All of Israel will be yours. I mean, this is an incredible offer that is being given to him. But in that moment, that first moment in which he has to trust, in which he has to, to, to obey, in which he has to kind of hold to that promise, he deviates. He decides, you know what? I, I want to do what you want me to do, but let me just kind of do it my own way. So I'm not going to get rid of worship. I'm just going to do worship my own way. And so notice again, uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28, page 196 of the story says this. He too sought advice. And after seeking advice, he made, this is what he decided to do. He made two golden calves. He said to the people, is it too much for you to go to Jerusalem? Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Right? We've been here before, right? The the people of God have had this moment once already where they were told, golden calf, here's who brought you out of Egypt. He doesn't just do one, he does two. He puts one in the north and one in the south. One he set up in Bethel, the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. And so I want you to see again the map here. So you can see where Jerusalem is, that bottom arrow. And so right on the other side of that border there, he sets up a a place. He says, look, it's too far for you to go. I'm being the considerate king. Here's a new place to worship. Or if you live up in the north, just go to the north. You can go as far up here and I'll set a place to worship. Not only does he set up new places to worship, new things to worship. He doesn't have any priests because all the priests are in the southern kingdom. And so it's open hiring season. If you want to be a priest, anyone who wants to be a priest, I'll make you a priest. And so he kind of, again, he's rejecting God's plan. He creates new festivals and replaces the old ones. New altars to sacrifice to these golden calves. And he succeeds in replacing Jerusalem. The people begin to worship. And as we see, it is a great sin. They stop going. But he doesn't just replace Jerusalem. He's replaced the Lord. He's replaced God. And Jeroboam avoided what God wanted from him. Obedience. Complete obedience. Trust. Faithfulness. Just trust me. Just follow me. And I will give you a dynasty. But when fear crept in and he couldn't control the situation, he didn't know how it would play out, he decided to do it on his own terms. He decided to do it his own way. Now this is very important for us to think about because we tell you every week, our mission here at Beach Point is to develop you to develop you into an authentic follower of Jesus Christ who loves God, one another, and the world. And if you are going to learn to be a follower of Jesus, you are learning that your faith in Jesus is not just to save you from hell. It's not just to save you from death. It is to save you for life. Life with God now and forever. And so this is what it means to be a follower. It means to trust him. It means to, to, to follow him into the life that is truly life. 
And so when he says to us, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people with me, if you'll come with me, we'll change the world. Our hesitation might be, wow, that sounds kind of scary. Sounds expensive. Like changing the world? What about, like, I like this, I like here. Can't we just change here? He says, trust me. Just trust me. Come with me. I promise you, you will see. He says, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily. And we say, yikes, that sounds painful. Uh, What if instead I just went to church more Sundays than I didn't? Or if I, and we start to kind of create these conditions, right? Where I don't want to say no, But what I want to say is yes, kind of on my terms. And in some sense, what we realize is that we really aren't followers at all. We want to be co-chairs. Or we want to say, you do understand, right? To be a follower means that you are no longer the leader. That when you say you're going to be a follower of Jesus, when you commit your life to him as a follower, that you you are turning in your resignation as the leader of your life You are signing it and placing it on his desk and say, you know it better than I do and I trust you. And you are resigning to say, I will follow you the best I know how. Jeroboam's remembered as being one who wanted to do it his own way. But I don't want you to miss the if what, he said to, what God said to him is, if you will just trust me, if you will follow me, I will give you a dynasty. I will be with you. I'd be happy to give you all of Israel. This is an incredibly generous offer, and this always is the offer of Jesus. Jesus said, I came to give you life, life that is abundant. To be a follower of Jesus is not... It's not to be afraid to to surrender everything and to walk with him in faithfulness. So you can be remembered for doing things your own way. But typically is what I've seen when I've gotten to those places and those services. And what you know is this is a person who kind of did it his own way. Everyone kind of laughs. Everyone kind of, it's uneasy. They realize it could have been different. Well, there is one good king that can raise our spirits a little bit. So here's one final, final king to look at, and his name is Asa. And Asa shows us this, that you can be remembered for following God the best you can. You can be remembered for following God the best you can. That when people look back on your life, they can remember you as one who followed the Lord and all that he had for you. So at the top of page 200 of the story... Or if you skip over to 1 Kings 15, you will see this description, verse 11 of Asa. This king, he was a king in the southern kingdom, so in the line of Rehoboam. And notice this first line about him. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Wouldn't that be a great line on your tombstone? It says, as his father David had done, he expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. Now, if there's any indication things had gotten a little wacky in the southern kingdom, is that line right there, okay? 
He even disposed his grandmother, Makah, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down, burned it in the Kidron Valley. Now we see this line, although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Now he had a, a pretty tremendous little run there. He got rid of the male shrine prostitutes. He got rid of all the idols the people had made. He even told his grandma, you're fired. Okay, He cut his grandma out. Now, queen mother was a, a place of royalty, a place of power, similar to, to uh, the power, near equal power to the king. But because of her bad choices and because of the disastrous things she was bringing on the, on the nation, he had the courage to even say to his own grandma, Grandma, you're out. And he took down the things that she had built up for the people to worship. Now we notice that he'd done all these great things. There was one thing he didn't get to, that what were known as high places. So think of any place higher than the ground, whether it's kind of a mound or a mountain. Uh, don't think Mount Everest, but these places that people would go to with, and they would worship. And typically they would worship other gods. He got to a lot of it. He didn't get to all of it. There were some things he didn't do. But what we see is this, that his heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He did the best he could all his life. And you and I now read thousands of years later a legacy of faithfulness. A legacy of faithfulness. So I want to ask you as we close this morning out, Asa was a king who was, who was remembered. We're looking at him thousands of years later as one who is remembered for following God faithful to God. So the question we ask you this morning in response is, will you be remembered for following God? Will you be remembered for following God? Of all the things in your life, of all the things you will be remembered for, will you be remembered as someone who followed Jesus? And I want to invite you to the many, many people here at Beach Point who are living their life this way. I think of all these parents who have this renewed passion to leave a spiritual legacy in their children, who realize my faith impacts my children. And so I'm going to take my own discipleship seriously, my own following of Jesus so seriously, because I know the way I live will be the most influential thing I can have on my kids. What is caught is stronger than what is taught. And parents are, are, are working so much harder. Instead of saying, church, it's your responsibility, they're saying, let's partner together. Or I think of, of our missionaries. The last three years, we sent out eight missionaries uh, from our church, people that go all over the world. Seven of those eight had no plans on being missionaries. There's only one girl who grew up from five years old thinking she was going to be a missionary uh, someday. The other seven had career changes along the lines, later in life. But there's a willingness to say, if I'm going to be remembered as someone who followed Jesus, that when Jesus interrupted their life and said, I know you're an IBM executive, but what if I know you're a, a top biology teacher, but what if, and these folks said yes. I think about the people who are reimagining their life. They're rewriting their stories through CR or Stephen Ministry or, or uh, through our life groups or whatever it is, but people who have come to a place of brokenness and who are trusting Jesus, even though the, the first part of the story is broken, 
The, the new chapters are ones of restoration and life and faithfulness. I love the stories that are being written here in our church and the legacies that are being built. I began to think about this for my own life. I thought, if, if, if there's anything I hope people will say about me, it will simply be this. He followed Jesus. Now, what I don't mean is he was a Christian. He went to Beach Point. He was a pastor. I mean, he followed Jesus. When Jesus invited him to change the world, he followed Jesus. He was faithful. When Jesus said, give these things up, lay these things down, he followed Jesus. He was faithful. When Jesus asked him to do really hard things, Bill followed. He was faithful. So what about you? What will you be remembered for? If, if I could have you write one word on your epitaph, one word on your tombstone, what if that word was faithful? Faithful. What if that was the only word? Your name, your date, and just the word faithful. See, there's this great story. Jesus sends his servants out and they, they go and they do what they, he's asked them to do. When they come back, he simply says this to the ones. Uh, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you long to see that smile on his face? To hear those words said to you? The day you take your last breath in this life and your first breath in the next and that face is looking at you and he can say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Faithfulness is not something you can, it's not an event. It's a process. And so you have the invitation this morning, just as I pray, I'm going to lead you into just a quiet moment of reflection and prayer, and then the team will lead you in some final songs that will really capture a heart of prayerfulness for us as we close the service. If your desire is to be his, to be a faithful follower, then just this morning, in a new way, commit yourself again to him. Commit yourself to being a follower of him. Commit yourself to being faithful to him. See, when he says to you, look, if you'll trust me, if you'll hold on and you'll obey the things I'm walking you into, I can bless you. I'll be with you. I'll give you a dynasty. I'll be happy to give all of Israel to you. This, this is who he is. And so let's use these last minutes of our service prayerfully to commit ourselves to being faithful to the one who's faithful to us.